Well, welcome. Glad to have you all here. We're excited about the things God's doing. We have one of the things that we've talked about as a church body. The third thing we often talk about is let's do this together. Everybody is important. And you see that from our kids and from our youth that are away. Uh, had young adults up here as well as some of our uh, middle-aged, senior-aged kind of uh, folk. Um, so all these groups are important to do what we're doing, and I'm so grateful for them in that. We have one of those kind of events coming up on March 2nd, which is Ash Wednesday. We'll be doing a Ash Wednesday uh, service together, um, all ages, and we invite you to be a part of that. Uh, and I think we start at 6. You can find the details. I won't go into the details. You can find it um, on the website or ask someone who you think knows. Um, what I want to do is uh, just share with you, I've been talking about an interactive relationship with God, meaning you know best the things that you interact with, right? Uh, if you're a, a, an electrician, you know best electrical stuff because you actually interact with it. Um, you know your boss at work. Someone may know about them, but you know them because you interact with them and kind of get an idea of their heart. In my own life, um, one of the ways that I interact with God is by um, taking time to just quiet my heart, write out some of the things that God's teaching me the day before or things that I need to be aware of. Where was I close to him? Where was I far away? Where was I in a, one of those high points? Where were low? What is it based on? Those kind of questions. And then I often will just end with reading some scripture and then making a few comments on that. And I have been, like many of you, I'm sure, kind of saying with the world events, all the stuff going on. There's been a part of me that's just is a little ticked. Um, I'm mad a little bit at Putin and Russia. And it not only is there a feeling of that, but there's this anxiety and other stuff. And this morning in my quiet time, interacting with God's word and with God, I read Luke 21, 5 through 19. And Jesus says, when war is proclaimed and revolutions are voiced, don't panic. Do not give in to your fears, for these things are bound to happen. This is not the end yet. Jesus told us there will be upheavals of every kind. In the midst of it all, relax. Let Jesus' spirit be evident in you. Live a life of grace, joy, confidence, and allow God's wisdom to fill your mouth. He will give you his words. You don't need to defend your cause. He will be your defender and confidence. Speak Jesus with your word and with your life. Live joyfully and know how deeply I love you, Kevin, my son. And I just wanted to read that because God wants that relationship with all of us. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. I don't know what you have on your heart right now, but I'm going to ask you to interact with Jesus, those of you here in person, and I talk to you who are online as our congregation, would you just bring that before Jesus? Whatever it might be. And then just say, Jesus, I give it to you. And as I interact with you, I want to know more about your heart and how you want my heart to interact around this. Father, we pray. We pray for our national leaders. We pray for our world leaders. 
It just seems like with COVID and all the racial tension and the economy, just so many things that are happening, God. There's just a part where you go, one more? And it just shows us, God, that when things kind of are spinning out of control, we don't need to panic. We know that you are in charge and you are on the throne. And Jesus, you say to each one of us, my child, rest in me. Walk with me. Get to know me. Get wise so that I can show my wisdom in and through you and all around you. Is that your prayer? If so, let's say together, amen. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. I am um, excited to continue in this series called Get Wise, and we are actually going to be in Proverbs 3. And uh, it's, a, it's a great series. I've asked Peter to be a part of this with me, and I was going to introduce you and invite you up, but yeah, you no, seem to... Jump the gun on yeah, me. Is there something it. that uh, you wanted? I, I, no, I was I was just following the voice of the Lord, Kevin, on my way okay. up here. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Lord, you didn't tell me that. So <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I want to say is it's been fun to have Peter. I, I, I introduce you again because you're here from time to time, grew up in this church. Right. Have a wonderful wife, Hallie, five kids. That's kind of the joy of your, your heart and life, but yet God's given you gifts that you um, teach at Bethel and Northwestern, are on Faith Radio, run a company. I mean, I can't keep up with this guy. Mm. And I thought on Proverbs 3, you know, we, Proverbs 1 was, you know, this whole series, Get Wise, is start with God. That's Proverbs 1, 7. Know this, that Proverbs 1 through chapter 10, chapter 9, chapter 9, <laughs> that 1, 7 verse the fear of the Lord is beginning of all knowledge is critical for everything that happens in those first nine chapters. It's critical for your life. You start with God in the interaction relation, interactive relationship with him. And then the next one is, this is what you can do. God is going to pursue you. Will you pursue him? And today, this passage is about really living with God in such a way that his wisdom is seen through you. Not the wisdom that comes from your own self, your own through your own eyes, but the wisdom that God wants to teach you. So there's conditions and benefits. And if you look at the verses there, five and six and seven, eight, they are kind of like just opposed to each other, this humility and trust and dependence. And then it says, basically don't be a know-it-all. So as I was praying about this, I couldn't think of a better person (laughs) to bring with me to talk about my knowing it all stuff because of his yeah, humility. No, yeah. So, Peter, we're glad you're here. Um, you know, Kevin, before every we, time we, you yeah. come, I, I try to just think of something that might help people know you better. Yeah, no, that, that, definitely, <laughs> that definitely works. And, and I want to say that there's, of course, a high likelihood that you and I are going to go off the rails at some point in the next 25, 30 minutes. And, I'm going to be and, and, and right under, to no, this. No, no, understandably so. You have blamed me historically, but I, I want to say out loud, <laughs> I watched the sermon last week, love the sermon yeah. last week, but I watched the sermon last week, Kay Meyer, and, and at one point last week, you got off of your notes for the longest period of time and said, I'm getting derailed, it's time to get back on yeah, my notes. Yeah, I didn't even so start even in my notes. Deniability yeah, anymore. Right. I know. Okay. I know. This, yeah. is, this is you. The plausibility this is, is you, not me. Okay. It's probably yeah. me. Anyway, <laughs> we've established that. Um, uh, what I want to do is have us read this together. So let's stand again because I think just reading the Word of God would be important. Peter, if you'll read the first few verses, and sure. then I'm going to have you as a congregation read five through eight, and then I'll conclude it. Okay. All right. My child, do not forget my teaching. 
but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and of man. Congregation, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, Nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Praise be the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. Okay, Peter. Let's get into this, because... When you look at these verses, verses 5 through 8, as a congregation, those are kind of the hinge verses. They tie these 12 verses together. And and, and it says in verses 5 through 6, we'll look into it, um, be humble, basically, and trust completely in the Lord. And then it goes to verses 7 and 8, where it says, just don't be a know-it-all. And and the way it says it in the message is in Proverbs 3, 7, is don't assume you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Pretty easy instructions. So I have a few questions. You teach students, and and what's it like? Do you can you um, kind of spot a know it all when they come to class? I mean, what's it like to teach someone who seems to know it all? I mean, yeah, just your no. thoughts on that. Yeah, I, you know, over the years, there's not many, but there are uh, some that come in and, and they seem to share. And it's not just in the classroom; it's just within the Christian environment in general. And and I, kidding aside, I certainly have walked through seasons of my own life when I really did know it all. Right. And and I think. Um, the thing that brings us closer towards wisdom is when we're willing to shed our know-it-allness and enter into what's called intellectual and spiritual humility, mm-hmm. recognizing that we simply cannot possibly know all of the different nooks and crannies and rivers and tributaries of God's kingdom. And uh, it was said of C.S. Lewis at one point that um, the reason why he was so effective is because he allowed the evidence to go uh, or to take him wherever it would go. And so he was willing to always bend the arc of his life towards the kingdom mm-hmm. versus trying to bend the kingdom towards the arc of his life. And uh, and so when I'm in environments where there's know-it-alls, uh, it, it tends to be, um, there tends to be an arrogance at play. Yeah. There tends to be, I've got this together, and now it's my job to be your gatekeeper of all things that are true. And and I certainly do run into it in the classroom. And, and I think what's um, sad about that is that... Um, so often there is a depth and a richness, and we're going to talk a little bit about the inexhaustibility of God later that leads us to trust. Um, but when we reduce God down to what we think we know from our five statements or our ten statements, we've really reduced the inexhaustible God of heaven. And it gets to a point where you end up serving your ideas about God rather than following into the unknown and trust. Uh, and, and it's in that unknown and trust where we find our paths being made straight, as we'll talk later, as opposed to, to serving our five to ten ideas about God. It makes a really small God. And you Usually people are pretty small of heart when they act in that way. Yeah, I, I, I will have to say that I know that in my college years and, and other points, especially early on, um, there's a there's a, a statement that says uh, leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can stand. <laughs> there's also, a, a, I think, a statement as well as um, wisdom is is something you learn 
day in and day out, and eventually you find out how little you know. Mm. And, and, you know, what happens is when you're younger, um, you kind of know everything and parents know nothing, right? And then you begin to realize at a certain age, man, they knew a lot more than I thought they did. And you don't have to wait later to go there. God is willing to give you a heart and a spirit of, of humility if you're willing to put yourself in that place before him and just even say, God, I have a tendency to know it all in this area. I really want to know you. And he amazingly will do start, you know, doing a work in you to, to do that. So if you look at Proverbs, um, three, seven through eight, um, you'll find as we go through this, there's some words that, that I'll read it in the message. It says, don't assume you know it all. Run to God, run from evil. Um, the New Living Translation says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn from evil. That's the whole idea of fear again, this respect, this reverence of someone who knows something more than you. And then in the NIV, do not be wise in your own eyes. That's, that's actually a Hebrew idiom, which is found in a couple other places. In fact, it's found twice in Proverbs 26, and it's also found in one other place when we will look in a moment in Isaiah. But it's, it's, um, like common idioms we have, like, you know, a deer in a headlight, right? And you, you, you say that to someone in foreign language, they're, they're going, what? What does that mean? You, the idioms are things that people in a culture kind of understand. So in that Hebrew culture, they understood wise in your own eyes, meaning, you are not wise in God's eyes or in other people's um, through their eyes. So verse 26, 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Um, basically, uh, answer that folly before they become a know-it-all. And there's a number of words for fool and we'll look at this at some point in, in this Proverbs book. One of them is a simpleton. There is a way when your person is young and naive, if they're in folly, your answer to them in a very loving way can help them from becoming a know-it-all, it seems to say here. Verse 12 of 26, do you see a person who's wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. It's kind of like the know-it-all actually knows less than the fool who knows hardly nothing. And, and then you come to Isaiah 5, 12. One more expression here. It says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Um, what's your thoughts as I kind of just talk a little bit about Yeah, that. well, I mean, I, I love the themes throughout Scripture that we can attend to. And certainly um, the heart of the original temptation for the human beings happens in Genesis 3, where um, the, the idea of wisdom means to be able to see the world around you the way that God sees it. And, uh, and you can only do that to the extent that you stay tethered to God in your life, that you're living in this posture of trust and surrender. You're able to then see the circumstances around you, the people around you, the situations around you um, through the eyes of God. And that's what it means to have wisdom. Uh, wisdom is not related to education. It's not related to age. It's not related to your own personal capacities. It's related specifically as a gift coming from God to allow you to see as God sees. And the heart of that temptation at Genesis 3, when the serpent comes to the male and the female and basically says something along the lines of, you can eat of this fruit of good and evil, and if you do, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, uh, functionally cutting God out of the equation and determining for yourself what is good and evil. And it even talks about the idea that when the male and the female had their eyes clouded with the doubt of the serpent... That, that God had their back, that God could be trusted. They looked back at that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and it, and it specifically says in the text now, related to wisdom, that now that fruit 
was desirable for gaining wisdom. And so their eyes clouded in the doubt of God that God could be trusted. They began to look towards the things of this world um, in order to gain wisdom because God could no longer be trusted. God did not have their back. And now you think you're walking towards wisdom when you start doing things operating out of your own abilities, but you're actually increasingly becoming a fool or, or the folly of that. It's, it's part of the great fog and deceit in which yeah. you live in the world. So as we look at these verses, we're going to go through each of them, and it's really interesting. It sets up a condition and then a benefit, the idea being um, let God disappoint you with your own wisdom at a rate you can understand, you can stand, so that you can begin to be wise through his eyes. And so as we look at these verses 1 through 12, you'll see there is this... Um, this condition that says if you um, will be wise in this way and allow God to lead you in this, you will then re- you will actually walk in a benefit as a result of that, and you will experience those benefits. One thing I want to say, Proverbs does not mean, when you read this, go, it's absolute. Proverbs is the idea, a general truth. Because So I want you to realize, if you read like, oh man, if I give some money, my barns will be filled, or my wallet will be filled with cash. <laughs> I've tried that so often, Kevin. It has not worked. Yeah. So, <laughs> so but, but there's a there's a general principle of truth. These are not absolutes. These are in an interactive relationship with God. You'll find that there's things that will result as a, as you follow Him. So let's do this. Condition is do this. Be wise in God's eyes, not your own. And here's the benefit. Let's begin with the first one, Proverbs three. One through two, which is about long life and wholeness, the condition, my child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. My teaching refers primarily to the Pentateuch, those five books of the Bible, or the laws that were given to the people of that day. Simple things like the Ten Commandments, which were commandments that were commandments for, I believe, living in community. I mean, the second half of it is like it's community for dummies. You'll be blessed. You'll have a benefit if you don't steal, if you don't take another guy's wife, if you, you know, don't commit murder. Those are rules for, you know, not hard to follow. And in a sense, they're simple. And so when he says my teaching, he's referring to that, but he says my commands, it's more the idea of the home teachings, the things you learned when you were young. It's similar to Proverbs 1.8 that says, do not forsake your mother's teaching. Remember to continue to apply the things you learned when you were little. Don't forget those things that you were taught. Like God created everything, even you, right? Simple things like God loves you and you are really precious to him. No matter what accusation you hear in your heart, it's not from God. Trust my love and my directions. Life goes better when you obey. Live gratefully, live generously, be kind, all those kind of things. And so it's, it's, it starts out by saying it's pretty simple. If you really want to follow the Lord, one of the things you need to really pay attention to is just those simple truths. And it reminds me of some of you are familiar with Robert Fulgham's um, book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, right? Where he just basically says, wisdom wasn't at the top of the graduate school mountain. It was there at the in the sand pile in Sunday school. And he says, Share everything. Play fair. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Take things. Don't take things that aren't yours. Um, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. And um, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. So the I'm benefit. Like two out of six on that list. Just, yeah. just so you know. Yeah. 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 If you try, try yeah, yeah. that. You're going to give it a go this like week. Yeah. Anyway, um, the benefit. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you. 
peace and prosperity. You mm. want to just make some thoughts, comments on what, yeah. this is the lead part that leads us into it all. I think just quickly on that part of it, when we see prosperity, we think so often about um, having material blessings sort of overflowing through us. And, and there is, you and I probably need an hour-long podcast to kind of talk through what yeah. that means from the Old Testament. But but prosperity, and when it shows up in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, it, it just simply means that I have a sense of wholeness about me. I, I have nothing of lack. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have all the money or the job or the friends that you want. It just means that your heart's at rest. It's as things should be. And, and it happens independent of the circumstances of our lives. And, uh, and so when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, I shall not want, uh, it could be rendered probably in, in, a, in a fuller expression of Psalm 23 in the original language, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need for wholeness. And so I listen to the voice of my shepherd. And, and, and part of what I love about that passage, Kevin, and part of what I've loved historically about growing up here at Ways That Are Free, but it's persisted throughout all of these years and generations, is there really has been an emphasis on having the shepherd's voice of the families in the lives of the kids. I could have watched those kids all morning long, <laughs> and you, by the way, twirling to my lighthouse. Uh, and, and you just think, to, there's so many voices that are colliding into our kids' lives all day long now, especially because... Uh, of social media and the phone and all of that, to, to have these trustworthy voice, voices of shepherds representing the shepherd um, is really can go a long ways towards resolving the mental health, health crisis and all of what we could talk about for hours. So, but that shalom is that wholeness. It, exactly. And so in, yeah. it, what's really interesting, in, in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, you don't have a lot of things about eternal life necessarily. You do have this concept, which is this eternal life we talk about is quality of life now and quantity of years. That It's two. So when you find in the Old Testament, they use the word shalom for that kind of expression of what it means to live in harmony with God and everything else. And and the problem with the word is it's almost not translatable. So like the NIV, if you have that, or the NIV 84, transish, says peace and prosperity, and, and we get these weird notions with that. But I think what's really important to remember is as this begins, hinged on those verses 5 through 8, as it begins, he's basically saying, if you interact with me and my teachings you will experience shalom. And I think that's a really important first word because that's what the whole Old Testament talks about and that's what Jesus promised as well. So that's how it kind of starts and tracks. And so we move from there and it says favor and a good name, Proverbs 3 and 4. I'll make a comment on that and then you can go to 5 and 6. Just sure. It says, you know, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Um, write them on the tablet of your heart, like jewelry around your neck, like words etched into your being. Let love and faithfulness. What does that mean? Those are the words that were characteristic of the kind of relationship someone who, who was interacting in relationship with God would experience. They would experience this sense of their identity as they are his child. And he loves them so much. He's a father who will always do what is right and good. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he says, if you live in that relationship with me, it, it, it will begin to express itself in your heart. It will be written on your heart and it will actually adorn you in, in your life so that you will have a good name and you will have favor. And, I, and what's important about this is it's not reputation because reputation is in the hands of everybody else. Your name, your character is in your hands. And if you choose to say, I'll live in this relationship with God this way, and I will begin to live that way with all other people around me, 
that the way that God treats me and the way he loves me, I will do the same. You can count on this, that you will be a person, your character will be etched into the very center of your being and it will begin to adorn your life in ways that people will go, boy, this Peter guy, I mean, he's got this tough stuff going on, but I'm amazed. Hmm. I'm amazed because even when I've you know, heard him or done, he still comes back to me with kindness or love. Not all the time, you know, but that's the yeah. idea of that. So no, let's, go exactly into, right, let's go into verse exactly five. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so these are some of the more famous passages uh, about which we know. And I'm sure some of you have memorized these over the course uh, of a lifetime in terms of uh, trusting the Lord with all your heart and leaning not into your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge or submit to the, him and he'll make your path straight. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that straight paths, peace and discipline and righteousness later as we get closer to verse 12 there. But uh, we talked about doubt earlier and, and I would hazard a guess that we live in a pretty substantial or significant epidemic of doubt uh, of God. I don't know what your journey has been like of faith. I know mine, I'm sure yours, Kevin, at times has been uh, filled with doubt. And, and I think understandably so, just given the circumstances of our lives at times, um, how difficult this, this present darkness of this world in which we live as image bearers in exile, it's, it's a tough place to live. And, and because of that, doubt begins to cloud our thinking. And, uh, and sometimes ideas about God don't make a ton of sense. And sometimes we're like, well, what about this? And we puzzle over that and suffering or, or the idea of is God in charge of all things, like all of these things create a very understandable epidemic of doubt. And I don't know what your process has been like related to doubt. I know I went through a season of time where I truly believed that if I could just better understand God, that I would finally get to a point where I could cross in sort of this inflection point where I was like, oh, now I understand you enough to maybe decide to trust you or to give my life to you. And that goes back to something I was referencing uh, earlier is we're always at the risk of diminishing the inexhaustible God of heaven. I mean, he made the, the cosmos. And, and I love the Narnia example in the last battle when C.S. Lewis talks about the children entering into the true Narnia. And, and part of what is described of the true Narnia is that when you're in the true Narnia, or in this case, a picture of when you're in the ever-unfolding kingdom of heavenly light, every day is better than the last. Every day is better than the last. You get up the next day and it's better than the last. And that, when you allow that in, and I was spending some time maybe a couple of months ago just deciding to try to allow that in. What must that be like where every day is better than the last for all time, for infinity? Like you can never get to the end of the inexhaustible God. His riches are inexhaustible and every day is going to be better than the last when we exit this exile and into the unfolding kingdom of light. Every day is better than the last. It's one beautiful party. And when, when I went through that process in my life, what it began to teach me related to the Proverbs 3 passage is that the resolution of our epidemic of doubt is not ever further understanding of the inexhaustible God as the finite creatures that we are. It's, again, an understandable impulse to want understanding. It's not bad to pursue understanding. But the resolution to doubt is that in the midst of our lack of understanding, we choose to trust anyway. We choose to, to bend our knee. We choose to yield. We choose to say that you are God and I am not. And, and then there's this great promise that comes in the midst of that, that begins to walk alongside of our doubt, but even grows bigger than our doubt. And the scriptures talk about that as a gift of assurance. We have assurance that's unexplainable, 
even in the midst of our ongoing doubt. And that assurance can grow. And, and that assurance is, is part of the knowledge of where we're headed. It's, it's why that old hymn, if you know the hymn, it says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We, we know that we're fit and made for heaven. And that's what begins to resolve the doubt. And, and I think, Kevin, I'll say it till my dying breath, that God's faithfulness um, is not made evidence within the circumstances of our lives. God's faithfulness is that he will walk alongside of us, never leaving nor forsaking, regardless of the circumstances of our lives. And, and that switch means that then I can walk through the valleys of the shadow. Right. That switch allows me to um, deal with unimaginable grief. That switch allows me to, to live within the failed and broken promises that, again, understandably move us to that place of doubt. But when we recognize that his faithfulness is not evidenced by the circumstances of our lives, his, his faithfulness is evidenced by the fact that we have a shepherd who will never leave us nor forsake yeah. us and will walk with and us. What, and what that's I, Proverbs 3. What I love about that is... Um, the reality of that, we don't have to then keep our eyes on our circumstances. We keep our eyes on our shepherd who's guiding us. And yet at the same time, he's such a good shepherd that he will at times just reward us and give For us sure. the benefit of doing just like he says, I will make your path straight. And we think a lot of times that's just about guidance. It's more than guidance. It's the idea, I'll get you there. I could go into more t- uh, scripture texts around that. He, there's a prophecy in Isaiah about Cyrus, who's going to be this Gentile king, who's going to f- let the Israel go back to Jerusalem. And, and then the next things are exactly what he will do. This is before he's born. So he will get you there. And, and I found this in a really interesting way this last um this last week, I, uh, I received a, an email, and 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 it, it illustrates really well this idea: of God will get you there without detours. If you if you do it His way, He'll make sure that He'll guide you and get you to the end that He's called you to. But if you do it your own way, you may take a lot longer, and He may still get you there, but it's going to be with a lot more detours, a lot more potential pain, roadblocks, etc. So I received this email last Sunday morning after church service from Sarah, who's been a part of our Chinese ministry. And uh, she, like many others, come here for a period of time, and then they leave university, and they take a job somewhere else. So she's in Boston, and she is at Oracle, and she's a dated um, uh, what is she called? A data analyst, a data analyst. And she put at the very top of it, so I got this last Sunday after the message, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She wrote this to me and a few others. She wrote, Saturday morning, prior to speaking with my dear friends, J and D, I was reading the Bible, and God asked me to read two special chapters, Jeremiah 6 and Psalm 2. And she wrote it out in Chinese, so I read it in Chinese. No. Um, <laughs> If you do the one verse that's really significant, it's in chapter 2 of Psalm, verse 11. It says, serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. So Sarah continues her story and she says, I shared with J&D that on Friday I was given a task to run a classic, also known as traditional model to compare and test against my team's newly developed models. I was um, told about what the classic model should be like, metrics, procedures, etc. Yet I had never written a model like that, so it sounded very basic but also complicated at the same time. And my experience told me that this model was more about data manipulation and less about modeling. And with my past achievement with a happy client doing similar tasks using programming language A, which I know none of this stuff, so you guys who are in data analysis, you, you may get what I'm talking about here, I believed it was the way to go, program language A. However, while I prayed to the Holy Spirit about this, he told me that I should use programming language B. 
I neglected it right away, for my gut feeling was telling me, no, it is A. That's the best way to go. <laughs> Plus, I had zero experience in doing the type of task using B. So with, for, without further ado, I opened A. Before I start, I asked God again, okay, Holy Spirit, I knew you asked me to use B, but tell me, if I use A, can I finish the task soon? <laughs> Immediately he told me that if I use A, I will spend days on it. <laughs> so I asked again, how, how about if I use it B? He said, you'll finish it today. For a second, I could not even believe what I heard. But as I pondered in, my, in front of my laptop, simulating language A to accomplish this task from step one to step N, sweating as I thought more about it, I realized how I, stupid I was to choose language A on this task. But I said, God, I had never used B to do anything like this. Will you help me? He said he will give me wisdom as I go. I love the sentence. I love, you know, Chinese who are learning our language. Uh, I, I don't know any other language. And, you know, I'm so impressed with people who are willing to step into other people's cultures and really learn. Friends, what happened next, you might never want to believe. <laughs> I finished this task in an hour. During my one-on-one meeting with my manager, she was totally surprised by how fast I finished it. No one, including me, could believe that. But things happened just like he said it would happen when I followed his instruction. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? So let me just, the condition um, is, is don't be in verse 7 and 8. Um, is health and vitality is the benefit. The condition is just be wise in God's eyes. Like I just read, don't use language B if he's telling you, I mean, use language B if that's what he's telling you to do. And, and that applies in a lot of things. If God says the shortcut that you're taking is not ethical, don't do it. Living with this guy or girl might not be in your best interest. In fact, won't. There, I mean, I could just go through, and they're really just basic commandments. Harboring bitterness isn't good. Because the, the, the benefit is this. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. What does that mean? You will live with less worry, less stress, less constant adrenaline flowing through your system that actually attacks your system and drains you of energy. They're very practical commands. Proverbs 9, 3, 9 and 10, provision and plenty. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. I just ask you, Do you do that? Are you in an interactive relationship with God around your finances? The idea of first fruits is instead of giving leftovers, give them what is first. And do it with a sense of um, gratitude. And then also recognize it will always be a test of faith. There's the last one, and I'll have you finish on this last one, Peter, because I think it's a important one around correction and character verses 11 and 12. Yeah, and I think, I know we're going to do a Q&A after the service, and maybe we can cover a little bit more yeah. <clears throat> ground at that point, but there's this idea of discipline that uh, shows up all throughout the biblical text, and right here, of course, in 11 and 12, when, when the Lord disciplines those he loves, there's a shout-out from Hebrews 12 uh, that talks about the discipline of God, too, and maybe a couple quick comments to kind of pull this together, where so much of the the heart of what we're trying to talk about here is the move um, towards wisdom that's only accomplished as we trust. And so when the Lord disciplines, it's the idea that he's wanting to create a righteousness within us. 
But righteousness is not the ability to do a bunch of good works uh, a little bit better than yesterday. Uh, To have a righteous life means that you're rightly ordered in your relationship with God, which takes us back to what we've been talking about all morning, which means the rightly ordered relationship is trust. To, To live a righteous life is to live a life of trust in God. And I don't know what your lives have been, but discipline... My son Caleb's here today, and he was sending me all this stuff from the Hebrew language about discipline. And, and if you want to see his work, you can go to, he knows more Hebrew than his father, and it's <laughs> com. Uh, and so he was sending me uh, something, and, and I loved what was in this word discipline, is it was in the idea of subduing through a refining fire. Um, and, and so there's this idea of stuff, chaff, everything has to be burned away. So the seeds of the rightly ordered kind of life of trust and growth and wisdom can begin to develop within us. And in my own life, it's almost always through trials and difficulty that, that sort of remove my hands from the idolatry of this world, looking towards the things, my eyesight clouded with doubt, believing that I know the way forward that's best. It's almost always through trial and suffering in which I am subdued, rightly so, through the refining fire so the seeds of new life can be birthed in me that then allow my paths to be straight. And then I walk on straight paths. And and maybe you'll read next week, Proverbs 4 says, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Um, And it's that idea of just fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, continue to walk in trust, um, and in the doubt that we have, uh, continue to just yield, and the seeds of new life will be birthed uh, within you, and you will then grow in wisdom or the ability to see the way the, the, the world, the way that God sees us. And, and that's the invitation there. Great. We're going to let you guys lead us in, in song. Um, I'll give you this. It, your little playbook is right behind you there if you want it.